God's word from Psalm 73. <clears throat> now let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 10, 7 through 16, which is our text this morning. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not come to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? This is God's word. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, thank you for your word, having it recorded, preserved, transmitted, translated, printed, and made available to us. May we, like the saints of old, hunger after it and drink it in, Teach us from it, Lord, that we may learn your ways, that we may guard ourselves. Illumine the page, illumine our mind. And as I speak your word, Lord, place a guard over my mouth that I would speak those things that most honor you and hold back those things that would not. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning I'm going to be concentrating on verse 13. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And I'll draw from the context even while addressing that. About six years ago, my son offered at an auction that we were having for, you know what, it's probably even longer. It's probably 10 years ago. He, uh, he offered at an auction that we were having for the school, a fundraiser auction, a thing called Tour de Trout, where uh, the highest bidder would be taken along with five companions down to the current river in Missouri, and we would do trout fishing for a weekend. And so uh, I was included because I was the headmaster, not because I have any real skill at fishing, nor did I have very much to offer for this, uh, for this package. And it was my son, so he probably felt guilty. But 
we, we went down to the Current River, which is great. It's, it's a lovely river. It flows widely and smoothly for miles, and the water is cold. It's cold because it bubbles up out of some springs uh, that run underneath the Ozark Hills. So we're out there, and of course, you, you know, the whole idea of fishing, don't you, is you'd get a lure and you tie it on the end of the, uh, tie it on the, end of the line or put a hook on the end of the line. And in the case of fly fishing, you snap it out there a couple of times until it lays on the water and it floats along the water for a little bit, and you snap it back. And then you do it again. You let it float. You snap it back. And the trout looks at this, and the trout says, that is yummy. I want that. And finally, he can't stand it anymore. And the next time he sees that little feathered fly hit the water, bang, he snaps it, and he's got it, right? But see, that's then the end of it all. He's hooked. And so he thought that he was getting brunch, not realizing that he was becoming brunch. Because we dragged in our little trout, we cleaned him up, we filleted him, and we grilled him for lunch. That's the way temptation works, doesn't it? That trout was deceived. That trout was happily deceived. That trout, he convinced himself that this thing was yummy and he wanted to eat it. And it was a danger. It was a danger and it hooked him and it resulted in his death and his being eaten for brunch. That's what temptations are, beloved. They're attractive, they're appealing. The whole intent is to deceive us, to hook us, because the one fishing is the evil one. The one fishing is the one pulling us so that we will become brunch for him. And we need to know that temptations are always a threat in our lives, and we need to know the provision that God gives to us in order to overcome temptations. And that's what the Apostle Paul is dealing with here in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He's warning us against temptations. He looks back into the people of Israel of old, and he looks at us today, and he says, these are the dangers. This is God's provision. Be aware of both of them. Look at at what he says here in verse 10. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. The first thing that we really need to understand from this is that temptations will come. Temptations will come. They'll come. They'll come for sure. Jesus himself says in Luke 17, verse 1, temptations are sure to come. As surely as the sun rises in the morning, as surely as the sun sets in the evening, if you belong to Jesus Christ, if you are a child of God, you will face temptations. Because they only come to those people who know Christ and are striving to walk with Christ. Those who know Christ, 
who haven't been born again are not actually tempted. They're already captive to sin. They're already snagged and being dragged in. The devil has them, and he's going to continue to keep them, keeping them ignorant of their condition unless Christ breaks in by his grace and makes them aware and sets them free. The devil doesn't tempt somebody that he's already got. He tempts the children of God. And they will, temptations will surely come. Now, we, we need to be realistic here. Temptations come from various sources. They come from all kinds of sources. First of all, James tells us that each one is tempted when he's carried away by his own desires. And having said that, I want to clarify, temptation is not sin. Our Lord Jesus Christ was tempted. Did he have desires? Yes. Every single desire that you work with in your body, in your life, the Lord Jesus Christ had. He's fully human in body and soul. And so he had desires. He had desires for food, to eat food, desires for fellowship, desires for uh, the, the desires for honor. He had those. He wasn't a nondescript human being. He was fully human. So our passions or our desires are not necessarily sin. It's when our passions and desires lead us to sin that they become a problem, which is probably almost always for us. Temptations threaten to lead us to sin, and our passions turn out to be the weak spots in our lives where we are attacked, where those temptations press in the strongest. Think of King David, who, as he was on the roof of his house or in the palace, looked out on the roof of Bathsheba's house, and saw her taking her bath. And there he looked, and his passions were stirred. At that point, he should have walked away, but he let his passions carry him forward into sin. Or Achan. Achan was a man who was part of the nation of Israel as they were conquering the Holy Land, and as they were attacking Jericho, God's specific instructions were... Destroy everything. Man, woman, child, ox, donkey. Destroy everything. Destroy all the clothing. Destroy the furniture. And whatever gold and silver that you collect belongs to the treasury of the Lord. Achan, who was part of the attack force, went into the city of Jericho. And as he described it, I saw this beautiful Persian coat. I desired this beautiful Persian coat. I took it, and it is hidden in my tent, along with some gold that I also took. It's not wrong to desire something. It's wrong to desire something in such a way that it leads you into sin. But our passions turn out to be a weak spot for temptation, and we need to recognize that. We need to recognize what passions they are that we are prone to. Are you prone to self-pity? If you are prone to self-pity, there's going to be ways that the evil one stirs that up. Are you prone to want to acquire things even though you don't need things? 
The evil one's going to stir that up. You see, you need to know yourself and recognize what it is that tempts you. Some of us are tempted sexually. Some of us are tempted by money. Some of us are tempted by power. The kinds of things where we are we've got the highest place among people. Whatever it is, you need to know what you're tempted by because that's the weak spot that the evil one's going to go after. There are temptations that come in from the world, a world system that sets things up in order so that we might give into them very easily because they speak to our passions. One can only look at advertising and the things that are available visually nowadays through computers and whatnot as to, as to how that system works. There are temptations that come from the world. Temptations that come directly from the devil. We have an adversary who wants to defeat us. I'm going to save that for next week. Then there are temptations that come from other people. People that we love, people that we respect, people that we... um, we, we appreciate, we want them around, and those people then take on a posture that gets in the way of the things of the Lord. Consider when Jesus was telling his disciples, I am going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be mistreated by the religious leaders, I'm going to be put to death and rise on the third day. And Peter stands in front of Jesus and says, that's never going to happen to you, Lord. And Jesus looked at his, one of his best friends and said, Get behind me, Satan. How have our closest associates been a source of temptation for us? Or worse yet, how have we been a source of temptation for our closest associates? We need to be aware of how these things work. Temptations come in numerous forms. Paul's really drawing on the history of Israel in this passage. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. We must not grumble as some of them did. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did. You see, temptations come in the form of idolatry. Wanting to exalt something is more important than the living God for our souls. Temptations come in the form of being frivolous with God's blessings. That's that's what's being mentioned here. We must not put Christ to the test. Receiving blessings of forgiveness from the Lord and then putting him to the test by going back and doing that same thing. That's frivolous. It's foolishness. Every one of these things becomes the fly on the end of the line. Looks yummy. Oh, it's so desirable. I really want it. And snag, you've got it. Or it's got you. Paul lists 
under all of these grumbling, which is idolatry, believe it or not. Because when we grumble, what we're saying is, my will is really better than God's will. When we grumble, what we're saying is, you know, God could actually provide a little bit better for me. I I did want something different. Grumbling is idolatry. It's coveting after something else and making it known through your bad attitude. Now, these are only examples of the ways in which we are tempted. But because we are complex human beings and very broken at our root, all of these test us. So, what is it that the the Lord does here? He provides to us encouragement in the face of our temptations. See what he says? No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you to be tempted, let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You are not left to face those temptations on your own. You're not left to face those temptations without resources. Here's the encouragement that God gives to you. The thing that you're facing is common. It's common to men and women throughout the world and throughout the ages. Don't think that because we live in the modern day and we have modern conveniences that we are no longer susceptible to these things. Human nature hasn't changed since the fall. Don't let the speakers of evolution tell you otherwise. We are the same kinds of people who were fallen and broken as they walked out of the garden. So whatever temptations we face are common to all men, common to each and every person. There's another way that Well, first of all, let me say this. Because it's common, it's helpful to read other people who have dealt with temptations and were willing to write down about them. Some of the Puritans, uh, precious remedies against Satan's devices. Um, Some of the the Puritans who have written about uh, heaven being the greatest treasure and the greatest reward. They talk about the, the temptation of earthly treasures and earthly comforts. It's helpful to be able to read those things because they have gone through the same kinds of temptations that you and I go through. There's another way to understand that word in the Greek, and that is they're human-sized. That is, the temptations are human-sized. Not just common to man and woman, but they are human-sized, which means then that the temptation that you will face is typically fitted to you. It's fitted to you. I'm sure you've felt this, right? There are some things that you're tempted with over and over and over and over again. It's like that fly that's being snapped on the river top, waiting waiting for that trout. It's the same fly. It's more attractive all the time. It pulls on you. 
It just it looks the same, but just more delightful. You know what it is you struggle with. They're human-sized. But because of that, they can be overcome. Your temptations can be overcome. You don't have to give in to them. God gives you the resources. Second thing is that they have limits. God will not permit you to be tempted beyond your ability. God has already put a boundary on the temptations that you face. So then the purpose of this temptation is to test you, to stretch you, to prove how much you actually really love the Lord. And to reveal to your heart how much you need the Lord. And there is an escape. There's an escape. God will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You do not have to be trapped by temptation. It begins and ends with our Lord Jesus Christ. The scriptures say that the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So if he has overcome the temptations that you face, and he dwells in you by his Spirit, can the Holy Spirit quite possibly be the resource for you to overcome your temptation? To actually fight against it. To stand your ground. To not give into it even a little bit. Scripture says of Christ that he suffered being tempted so that he is able to help those who are tempted. Your way of escape is to cast yourself upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Look once again to his cross. Look once again to his finished work. And see that there is the sufficiency. So the question is, how do we escape our temptations? We begin by praying. Jesus says, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Pray ahead of time. I hate to do this to you, but I received a quote from my wife the other day, given by Kevin DeYoung. Bear with me. So much for that. It's gone. So, let me go from memory. To begin the day without prayer is to assume that I am not weak that God is irrelevant and that I can stand against the devil myself. That's the parallel. You want to know one of my temptations? Get up in the morning, grab a cup of coffee, sit outside and watch the birds. Now where in there did you hear prayer? My temptation is to go out and enjoy the creation. Have a cup of coffee and go out and just listen to the world wake up. But you know what? Beginning my day in prayer is going to grant me a greater advantage over the temptations I will face. And so pray that you may not enter into temptations. The second one I've already mentioned, I'll mention it again. Know yourself. 
Know yourself and your own weaknesses. Know where you need protection. Know where you need to put on the whole armor of God. Will your faith be challenged? Are you weak against the resistance of uh, people who don't want to hear the gospel? Are you susceptible to thoughts that spin you into darkness? What are you susceptible to? Know yourself. God has given provision of grace to meet that. And then look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of our Lord Jesus when he was tempted by the devil. He never gave in. He was hungry, but he didn't give in to providing for himself by doing a miracle. Now, be careful here, because what I'm not saying is you need to be like Jesus. That would be unkind to you. I'm not saying be like Jesus. But I want you to look to the Lord Jesus Christ as the captain of your salvation. The captain of your salvation who has defeated the enemy, who has said, here, here is the grace to overcome the thing that you face. He's the king who defends his people from all of his and our enemies. So you look to the Lord Jesus. And I think it's one of the reasons why Paul brings this up. Look at the table. He says this, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? This is our encouragement, our comfort. Because as we partake of the bread and the wine, we're saying, Jesus died for me. He died for me so I can stand against these things that threaten me day in and day out. He is the high priest who's been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. He has suffered being tempted. You and I give in to the temptation long before it has worked its course. Christ resisted temptation to the point of shedding his blood for you. So you look to him, and you will find him merciful. You will find him with arms open. When you are threatened, he's there. Come to me. I will care for you. I will protect you. I will defend you. There's no temptation that you face that's not common and is not man-human-sized. There's no temptation that's going to overtake you that doesn't have a limit, that doesn't have a boundary to it. But even as you are tempted, God provides the way of escape, the blessings of our Lord Jesus Christ who dwells in you, who surrounds you with his spirit and with his love, who leads you in triumphal procession and gives to you grace to face these things. Cry out to him and he will strengthen you against the thing that tempts you. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, help us to know ourselves. Help us to know ourselves in such a way that we will admit before you what our weaknesses are, that we will tell you straight out what they are. Are they laziness, self-pity, sexual immorality, the desire to just have more, not because we need it, but because we want more? Whatever it is, Lord, help us to be candorous with you, to tell you flatly and openly 
what our weaknesses and what our temptations are. And Lord, let us look to you for your grace and your strength to face them down in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Spirit of Christ, that you dwell in us, that you seal us, that you keep us, that you are the guarantee until the day that Christ comes to make everything new. Lord, seal these words to our heart. Work them in us. Live them in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, as we approach the table this morning, let's confess our faith together. If you're able, I'm going to ask that you stand. We're using the Nicene Creed. Nicene Creed was uh, finalized in the year 325. It became the working summary of uh, our salvation in Christ and has been a unifying influence in the church both east and west. Beloved, what do you believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures, and he ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead." whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy, catholic, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead, and the life of the world to come. Amen. Please be seated. Okay, let's see if I can do this without messing it up. Last week I had a hard time with this. Paul says this, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Over and over and over again, we are brought to the blood of Christ and to the body of Christ. We are reminded again that our sin was dealt with decisively at the cross. Our sin was dealt with decisively at the cross. 
And when we come here to this table, what we're saying is exactly that. We're agreeing that when Christ offered up his body, that that was a life being offered up so that we may live. All of his obedience, all of his mercy, all of his compassion, his active righteousness offered up on our behalf that we might know that the law is fulfilled on our behalf. And then the shedding of his blood, the cup reminding us, even as he said, this is the remission of sins in my blood. That is that all of the penalty we deserve has also been taken care of. Everything you need for life, righteousness and forgiveness. Everything you need for life is wrapped up in him. So as you partake of this table, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I would ask that you not participate, because this is for those who have true faith. But if it so be that you don't participate, don't look at this as something that's being withheld from you. I want you to see it as something that God says, this is how I love my people. I don't leave them alone in the wilderness. I feed them on the way. I feed them with my son. Because daily we feed on Christ. Daily we trust his shed blood. If you have questions about that, I'm available after the worship service to talk about it. But if you partake, partake by faith in the Lord Jesus who died for your sins. Let's commit these elements to the Lord. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord Jesus, thank you for this very simple meal that just teaches us the full sufficiency of your life and death. May we participate by faith. May our souls be fed as we smell the blood, as we smell, as we smell the, the fruit of the vine, as we smell the bread, as we taste it, Lord. May we be reminded of the fullness of our salvation and the way in which you feed our souls on the way. Speak to our hearts. Strengthen us by faith and by grace. We ask in your holy name.